0: Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. If this is your first time with us. Uh really grateful that you're here. Would love to get a chance to, to meet you. My is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, this morning, what we're gonna do, I just man, I was really resonating with these songs. We plan this stuff out and all that, but um, I think the Spirit is really hammering home something incredibly important, and I hope that it really comes across in what we're gonna look at in His Word this morning. That. That there is no path forward for us as believers, other than toward people who say, Jesus, it is all for you. And I know we say that, and we've been saying that forever. But is what we are doing with our lives and with our bodies and with our intellects and with our jobs and with our monies, is that all supporting what we say with our mouths? And it's, and it's beautiful that we get the chance to dive into what we're going to look at today because it's just such a visceral uh. Practical example and step forward of exactly what we're talking about. And so today we're going to continue our conversation uh, about fasting. And so if you've been with us uh, over the past several weeks, you know we've been doing this series called Close and Faithful, and we've been looking at some of the things that Jesus says, said to his disciples, hey, these are what citizens of my kingdom, these are the things that they are going to do, and these are the things that will keep you close to me and will help you remain faithful to me and to my mission and to my kingdom. And we've spent time talking through a number of things Jesus brings up in Matthew chapter 6 mostly. And we've talked about how uh, a love for God's word and scriptures and, and the uh, commitment to meditate on God's word has uh, a huge, huge part of keeping us close and faithful to Jesus. We've talked through prayer, how that keeps us close and faithful to Jesus. We've talked through giving, how that keeps us close and faithful to Jesus. And then this last one, maybe the hardest one, at least for us in our context and our part of the world in our time in history, is fasting. And so it's been interesting kind of how this is rolled out because two weeks ago, Matt spoke and he did a fantastic job of laying out uh, basically like Fasting 101 for those of us who are raised in a context like this where you're like, I don't even... the, the thought of you telling me not to eat is mind-boggling to me. Like, I can't even wrap my head around that command, right? And so he kind of laid out through history, through scripture, through the early church, how this practice of going without food was a regular thing that people who love Jesus had done throughout most of human history and continue to do around the world, um, and how it is something that each and every one of us as followers of Jesus, we need to engage with in some capacity, Now, I'm not going to rehash everything that he spoke on two weeks ago. If you want to listen to that, it's online. You can go do that. But I do want to circle around to two specific things that I just think are necessary for us to have in our minds as we talk through the next steps in this conversation. The first is this. He mentioned two weeks ago the reality that when we talk about fasting, when we talk about biblical fasting, what we are talking about is refraining from food specifically, um, not social media, not TV shows, not coffee or, or Starbucks or whatever. It's, it's actual food. It's sustenance. Um, abstaining is a great thing, and we should practice that from time to time, but biblical fasting is specifically about food. It's important for uh, what we're going to be talking about today, and it's just a reality. And the second thing that I want us to remember before we get into what we're going to talk about today is fasting is something that Jesus assumes his followers will participate in. Um, Jesus says, when you fast, do it like this. And so, you know, for a lot of us, at least in this part of the world and at this time, uh, we've kind of treated it as the secondary thing. Like we can do that if we want to, or if we really want to really understand God's heart at a specific moment, maybe we'll try fasting. But what what we read from scripture is he's pretty straightforward. I want you to do this. When you do this, do it like this. And so he expects his followers to participate in this however much and to whatever degree they are capable. Now, there are medical things. There are reasons to participate with fasting in different ways. I understand that. And if you want more detail on that, again, Matt did a really good job. And so he laid all that out. And then the, the next week, we had a chance to step into fasting. Maybe on a personal level, uh, we had the opportunity to fast together as a church Saturday before we came on Sunday for our one big church service, which was such a great time and such a beautiful kind of picture of what the church is supposed to be. Um, But I think it all really kind of is this like growing tide that leads into the next part of this conversation. I'm really excited to get into it today. Um, Maybe some of you have given this a shot. Maybe some of you are still really resistant, but I think we have enough information to take the next step forward in it today. So I want to uh, start this conversation by asking uh, an important question that might still be sitting in many of our brains. Maybe you've tried it, maybe you haven't, but maybe this question is still sitting in your brains. What should I get out of this? What should this look like in my life I'm willing to do this? You are telling me to give up food. Do you understand what you are saying? (laughs) Jesus is saying to give up this thing that I love. So what can I expect? What's gonna happen in my life? Maybe you're sitting there saying, I'm willing to give this a shot, but, but what happens? What can I expect to happen when I step into this practice? And I think it's a good, port, uh, good question, an important question. Um, I think it'd be great if one day we were all at this point where it's like, well, Jesus said to do something and I just am willing to obey. I don't need any extra information. I think that would be awesome. Maybe one day we'll get there. But we see oftentimes in Jesus' interactions with people is he is really gracious then to offer a lot of reasons why he can be trusted. He does that a lot in his interactions with people. And I think he also does that even in this topic that we're talking about today. And like I said, I don't think it's a bad question. I don't think we wanna be people who live our lives uh, just going through the motions of something, not really understanding it because somebody who is persuasive or kind of a bully stood on a stage and told us we had to do it. And so we just find ourselves doing it. We look back over the years and we realize it never really had any kind of impact on us. The reality is that when we don't understand what happens when we fast, it can be really easy for us to fill in the blanks and maybe come to some wrong understanding about what it is and what it does that ends up undermining the whole reason that Jesus calls us into this practice of fasting. Let me just give you an example. So I went to college at a liberal arts university. It was a Christian university. And I was studying to be a pastor, which kind of sounds silly in hindsight, but that's what, that's what I was there to do. I was learning how to be a pastor. I was learning about theology and stuff like that. And I was exposed to fasting at that point in my life. I was like 19, 20 years old. I grew up in a church not so different than this, so we never, ever talked about fasting, right? Right. And the first time I really even heard about it, or that I should be doing it, was uh, during my college experience. But people, they 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 treat fasting almost like it was this cheat code, like life was a video game, and they're like left, right, left, right, up, up, down, down, A, B, A, and then this whole new world would be unlocked and shown to them. That's how they treated fasting, that it's like this special spiritual discipline that if you did that, then all of a sudden you'd have access to knowing exactly what God wanted for you. I would see it play out all the time. Let me just give you two scenarios here. One would be a a boy would see a girl from across the campus and be like, oh, she's really good looking and oh, I kind of like her and oh, I I maybe want to date her. She doesn't seem very interested, but I'm going to fast about it so that then I can throw down this God trump card and say, hey, I fasted about it, and God made it really clear that we should be dating. That happened all the time. It was super gross. It's really weird. Don't ever do that. Another example that would happen all the time is about, about... the spring semester of every single religion student's, almost every single religion student's uh, senior year, you would never see them in the cafeteria. Why? They were so busy fasting to try to figure out where they were supposed to go after they graduated college. They were fasting to try to figure out what church should I go to? What ministry should I be a part of? They treated it like, if I do this one mega spiritual practice, then i all of a sudden know things no one else is gonna know and God will make things really, really clear to me. Now, does that happen sometimes? Yeah, I mean, I think that can happen sometimes. But I think they were, I think myself at times in the past, I think those examples, we miss the point of why God calls us in to fasting. It is so important for us to understand what we can expect when we choose to step into the practice of fasting. And I believe that we can discover what the effects of fasting will be in our lives by having a really good definition of what it is. I think that was one of the missing components back when I tried it in college. And maybe if you've tried it in your past, I think sometimes because we don't have a good definition of what fasting is, it can be hard to understand what can we expect to be produced in our life if we're willing to step into this. Now, one of the best definitions that I think I have ever come across, which I think is really, really helpful in what we're talking about today, Matt mentioned it two weeks ago, actually. And uh, I came across it through a guy named John Mark Comer, who was a pastor at a church in Portland until pretty recently. He spoke about fasting and some really good insight about it. It's certainly been used by a number of different voices. Um, But when it comes to fasting, I think this definition gives us a really great context. Fasting is starving the flesh and feeding the spirit. Having this definition for what fasting is has been really helpful to me. We're gonna, we're gonna dissect it and we're gonna look at it here. But when we choose to step into the practice of fasting, what we are doing is we are starving the flesh and feeding the spirit. Okay, before we ever get into the fasting part of this, we need to take a step back and do some defining of what in the world uh, the flesh and the spirit are according to scripture, right? That sounds like a really nice churchy statement, but you might be sitting there and be like, I don't know what that means either. So can you explain that? There's been this um, uh, major theme in Scripture, all the way from the Old Testament very explicitly in the New Testament where it lays out this tension that we live in as people who love God and want to live the way that he created us to live, where we have this rebellion in us, this this desire to do things the way that we want to do them according to our own best ideas and the things that make us feel the best and the things that we want to happen, versus it lies in tension with this new way that God is calling us to live. We see this in all kinds of people's lives, and we see it explained really well in scripture. And oftentimes it's referred to, this tension, as the tension between the flesh and the spirit. Paul, who was, uh, wrote much of the New Testament, he was a hater of Christians, and then he had this amazing experience with Jesus, and he went on to plant all kinds of churches and do all kinds of incredible work for the kingdom. He gives awesome clarity to what this tension is in Galatians chapter 5. So if you want to go there, you're totally welcome to do so. We're going to bounce around a little bit today. Uh, But in Galatians chapter five, we're going to start reading in verse 13, where Paul lays out exactly this tension that I think so many of us feel. He says this, for you were called to freedom, brothers, which if we can just pause right there, that that is like such an encouraging statement to start this. I, I don't know if you have felt this over the last several weeks. The things that we are talking through are weighty, aren't they? They require time, effort, thought. And sometimes they can feel almost like a burden, but I just want to remind us that this is all in service to freedom, the way that Jesus describes it. So while the things we're talking about feel weighty, and and probably we need to feel a little conviction as we talk through these, this is all Jesus calling us to freedom. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh don't go back to who you were, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's referencing what Jesus said, who referenced what the Old Testament said. Verse 15 says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. In verse 16, he starts to really give us some clarity here to what he's talking about but i say this is paul talking to this to this church but i say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh he says walk by the spirit and you will no longer fulfill the desires of what he calls the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So he makes it really clear, the flesh and the spirit will always be in conflict with each other. They will always stand in opposition to each other, even to the point where he says to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Can we all just recognize that we can identify with that, right? Right? As followers of Jesus, there's a part of us that tries to keep us from doing what we know we want to do uh, and what God has told us to do. In verse 18, he continues, he said, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. He's leaving nothing to chance here. He's given us a very comprehensive list of exactly what the flesh looks like as we're talking about it. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He said, when you think of the flesh, these are this is the running list that should be popping up in your mind. He says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The things that are produced from what he calls the flesh have no place in God's kingdom. Verse 22, he gives us the opposite, the contrast though. But the fruit of the spirit, we recognize this one, many of us, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Jesus have put to death the flesh and that long list of defining characteristics." So what is Paul saying here? He's not talking only about our physical bodies that somehow our physical flesh and bone needs to be got, get, get gotten, gotten rid of. I'm just gonna go with that. Gotten rid of. That's not what he's saying. That's, that's Gnosticism. That's, like a, that's a heresy. That's not a good way of viewing the world. It's very, very problematic. But what he is saying here is that before you knew Jesus, before you surrendered your life to him, your passions, your desires, your wants, your ideas, they were in charge of your life. And they have no place in the kingdom. But now that we know Jesus, these things, those things need to get out of here and be replaced by the things of the Spirit. That list of defining characteristics of the Spirit. What he's really talking about about here, when, when he talks about our flesh is our desires that are out of whack. It's not just our physical body. It's our desires that are out of whack. It's our desires under our own guidance and our own best control. It's the idea of the reaching out and taking like we saw in Genesis when, when Adam and Eve reached out and took rather than be willing to receive what God had given them. It's us getting what we want, how we want it, when we want it on our own terms, Some parts of the Christian family would call it the sin nature. Um, I, I think another really helpful term as we're talking about the flesh is one that comes from John Mark Comer as well. He calls it our disordered desire, our desires that are out of sync with God's heart. And Paul puts those disordered desires in contrast with what he refers to as the spirit. The characteristics that show up in our life when we are in sync with the spirit of God, See, there's this reality, again, that I think we can all identify with here that sometimes in our life as Christians, our strongest desire isn't always our deepest desire. I heard I heard someone reference it like that this week and I thought it was really helpful. Sometimes our strongest desire isn't always our deepest desire. Oftentimes our strongest desire is our flesh, right? Our deepest desire is our want to look like the Spirit. Let me give you an example. When I am challenged, or when my safety is challenged, or when my security is challenged, my strongest desire is always to get angry. Always, every time is to get angry. Would I stand up here and say to you that that is my deepest desire? No. My deepest desire is to have patience and to be a person of peace and to be a person of gentleness. But sometimes my strongest gut, knee-jerk reaction, desire, is anger. And so there's this tension that exists in us. Paul uses the example of our physical body, the flesh, and is connecting it to the spiritual reality of disordered desire versus the desires of the spirit. And I think that that is why this concept of fasting can be so powerful in our lives. Because what do we do when we fast? We go without. We starve our physical flesh with a focus of and an emphasis on the things of the kingdom, spiritual things in our lives. And the exact same thing is happening on an internal spiritual desire level. And right now, we're kind of in this limbo where we're this mixed bag of desires, both the flesh and the spirit at war inside of us. And what we need to understand is that in this life, what you feed grows. In our life, in our relationship with God, what we feed grows. We know this to be true in all other aspects of life. We know it to be true in our overweight selves and in our overweight pets and in our bank accounts and in our uh, power and authority in our relationships. What you give time and effort and sustenance to will grow. So we are left asking ourselves the question, what are we feeding? Are we feeding the flesh Or are we feeding the spirit? I just found this definition so helpful to make clear what it is we're even doing here with this whole concept of fasting. So if we we all kind of feel okay about that definition, I think it will help us better understand the very things that are produced in our life when we're willing to step into the practice of fasting, whatever it looks like in our lives. So we're left, again, asking the question, what does starving the flesh and feeding the Spirit look like in our lives? I want to point us to three things. And I know that's so pastory to have three points, but I just want to point us to three things. Um, and what uh, they're not exhaustive absolutely, but I do think that they're common things that are produced in our life when we step into fasting. The reality is there are some things that will happen in your life, in my life, when we choose to fast that are unique to us. They're unique to our experience, where we're at, maybe unique to our wiring. But I really do believe that if we choose to step into this practice of fasting the vast majority of us can expect to see these few things happen in our lives. And we can have uh, maybe similar responses to these things that are shown in our life. So the first one is this. When we are willing to step into the practice of fasting, we are made aware of what controls us. When we step into fasting, pretty quickly, we will become aware of what controls us, good or bad. We become aware how much my flesh... My disordered desires, my desires out of whack, not submitted to Jesus, are still in charge of our life or will become aware of how surrendered I am to the Spirit. Like I think about it like this, you know, if you, not that any of us have entitled spoiled children, I know no one in this room would have that, but you know, the other person, spoiled, entitled child in your life. If you've ever gone to a situation where they, you know, they never get said no to, they have everything that they want and you take something from them that they wanted, what's the first thing that they do? They throw this massive ten- tantrum, right? You've seen children throwing tantrums before and you're like, I'm just glad it's not my kid because it definitely could be. We've all been there, right? We see these little kids throwing these tantrums and when I, when I think about that, um, it, it just is a really, really clear picture to me of that's exactly what the flesh is doing when we take something that's important to it from it. It kind of throws a little temper tantrum. It throws a hissy fit. And I just, want, I just wanna let you know, that's okay. It is okay when we step into the practice of fasting to notice that our flesh starts to throw a fit because it is a necessary part of recognizing the problem and being willing to surrender it over to Jesus. Reality is most of us live our lives with, and we just gotta recognize this, with enough comfort and control that we most of the time can keep people from seeing what actually lies beneath the surface of our life, can't we? We are really good at adjusting people's perceptions of us, not to mention our own perception of us all the time. And I think that is especially easy the more we have available to us. The more power we have available, the more resource we have available, the more privilege we have available, the more security we have available. It is easy to keep the things that we don't want anyone to see buried deep down. What is in us that we are really good at ignoring or justifying as, oh, it's not that big of a deal, sometimes needs to be violently drug to the surface by the Holy Spirit so that it can be dealt with. And fasting very often will do that. Richard Foster, who has written a lot on fasting and other what we would call spiritual disciplines, says it like this. He says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the thing that controls us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. He gives examples. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. He references David. David writes, I humbled my soul with fasting, from Psalm 69. He says, anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. We have a term for it. It's called being hangry, right? Then we will realize that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us, not just because we're hungry. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. In essence, it's getting to the root of the problem rather than trying to treat a symptom. Instead of just saying like, oh, I'm just hangry. I just, need, I just need a good meal and then everything will feel right. Or I just need some comfort food and I'll feel right. The, the act of fasting then points us to that deeper reality that I might have something that I depend on more than Jesus. I might have something that controls me more than the spirit. And that needs to be dealt with right here, right now. My wife said I was allowed to tell this story to you. So I just need to clarify, I need to preface it with that, all right? my Megan loves Easter time because Jesus rose from the dead, yes, but also because chocolate bunnies are on the grocery shelves. She loves herself a chocolate bunny. And so she bought one the other day and she hid it in the cupboard where we hide all our candy where we don't want our kids to eat it. But somehow Abby found her way to the, the cupboard. She found her chocolate bunny and she pounded the whole thing back. She ate the entire chocolate bunny. And Megan, Megan texted me. I wasn't in town. I was, I was out of town at this, at this uh, the shepherding thing that we do. And uh, she, she texted me and she's like, so I did a real bad thing today. And I was like, oh no, what happened? She was like, I had a terribly disproportionate response to Abby eating my chocolate bunny. And I was like, what, what do you mean? She's like, I was so mad at her. <laughs> she was so furious and she freaked out and she lost her cool on Abby, which is like not a common thing for Megan in general. And so as we were talking through this stuff the other night, she was like, you're allowed to tell, to tell that story because what a clear example of how much I, in her words, how much chocolate controls me. How dumb is that? Versus how I want to respond to my child who made a bad decision for sure. But she's like, when... I was in this moment of crisis, I guess is a way to say it. Like my, the, the, the control that this chocolate bunny had over my life was absolutely absurd. But honestly, it was a really good thing because the light was shown on it. She realized how silly is that. And she is able to kind of submit that to Jesus as silly as that sounds and be able to make a different choice the next time. Every single one of us are guilty of that when push comes to shove, rubber meets the road, crisis happens, what comes out of us looks an awful lot like that list from the flesh side of things than the list from the spirit. Beautiful thing is then we have the opportunity to give it over to Jesus. And I do, I just want to say like as a, as a word of encouragement in this too, how cool is it that as we practice this and as we draw close to Jesus and as we remain faithful to him, that we'll begin to notice that what comes to the surface when we fast isn't any longer on that flesh list, but instead it's a characteristic of the spirit. I long for the day that when I fast, anger isn't what comes up, but instead gentleness is what comes up. And I think it's something that God promises. and That's a really, really beautiful thing and a hopeful thing for us to look forward to. We gotta keep going. Second thing that I think we can pretty much count on if we step into this practice of fasting is our dependence will begin to change. As we step into the practice of fasting, our dependence will begin to change. Here's the truth, we are all dependent in some way. I know we hate hearing that, we're Americans, we're independent, we do things our own way, but just the stark reality, factual reality is every single one of us is dependent on something at some point. Can't get around it. Every single person on the planet is dependent on a government or a person or a job or for every single one of us, practically speaking, we are dependent on food. We got to have it. Every single one of us. Eventually, if we don't, we will die. So we can be as independent, do it ourselves, freedom loving as we want. But When it comes down to it, we will always have to come back to get what we need from some kind of food. And that's okay. We need to know that the spiritual that that spiritual growth that God wants for us isn't about becoming independent. Instead, it's about changing our dependence from the flesh to the spirit. As I was trying to think about this in a in a way that made sense. It's I was, I was reminded uh, of my first few times being out here and having to drive in like California traffic. So I've told you, guys, I've told our church before, I didn't grow up around here, I grew up in Wyoming. Learning how to drive in Wyoming is really different than learning how to drive in Modesto, let alone the Bay Area, right? And so Wyoming, far less people, You it's plain, so you can like see two hours down the road exactly where you're going. And there was a lot less uh, difficulties when you're traveling, uh, when you're driving in a place like Wyoming versus uh, especially the Bay Area. So when I moved out here, I got my first iPhone and first data plan and first uh, Google Maps app. And I was like, thank the Lord, good gifts come from above, am I right? I would have been so lost. I would have never been able to get anywhere without having Google Maps. And especially because we don't have family out here, If we ever are going to see anyone, it requires us to either go pick them up from the airport or us to go to the airport to fly to them. So I have made the trip to the airport dozens, I don't know, 50 times, maybe even more than that. For nine years, I've been driving back and forth to the airport. And let me just tell you, I'm confessing this to you. You can laugh. You can judge. I have never once not used Google Maps to get there, ever, ever, ever. I put it on every single time. I am utterly dependent on Google Maps to make it to the airport, even though I had done it so, so many times. Now, the reality is, like, if that was no longer in the mix, if my phone died, if it flew out the window, if the battery died, there was no way to uh, charge it, could I make it to the airport based off of my prior knowledge and prior experience and even muscle memory? Probably. I probably Could. But as long as that phone is available to me, I will remain dependent to it. The only way I would try to drive to the airport without it was if it was out of the mix. When we choose to fast, that's kind of what we're doing. We're removing something that we usually depend on so that we can shift our dependence onto something else, really someone else, the spirit. When we fast... We, practice, we physically practice the shifting of our dependence from physical food to a spiritual filling of God. We are saying that for this set amount of time, I will not depend on this food that my body needs to survive, but instead will choose to depend on the power and presence of God. That's the practice. So what we can count on then In our lives and in our hearts is a changing of dependence from what Paul would say is the flesh, control, pleasure, excess, comfort, whatever, to a dependence on the Spirit. And isn't really, when it comes down to it, isn't that what we're after? Dependence on the Spirit. And I've been reading in Acts so much, and we're going to end up going through Acts pretty soon in our church. What a beautiful picture of people who are absolutely, utterly dependent on the Spirit. It blows my mind, like the people that we see in the Gospels versus the people that we see in Acts are like night and day different. The disciples in the Gospels, they were missing the point all the time. They abandoned Jesus. They were fighting all the time. And then we jump over to Acts and we see these people just doing insane things for the kingdom. And we realize that the thing that changed was they had the Holy Spirit and they were dependent on the Holy Spirit. Like to the point where ideologies were broken down in someone like Peter, who was kind of racist to anyone who wasn't Jewish, where the spirit said, hey, you cannot act like that. He sent this vision with the, with the sheet and the food. You may have remember that story. And Peter was willing to lay aside everything that he thought he knew about ethnicity and about faith to embrace something new that the spirit was showing to him. There's places like in First Corinthians where Paul, with the seemingly Uh, throwaway itinerary plans that he writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, hey, I wanna come to you guys, but I can't right now because the spirit has opened a new avenue of work for me and I have to go there first. It's incredible to see that they went where the spirit went. They didn't go where the spirit didn't go. They opened their mouths when the spirit said to and they kept them shut when the spirit said to. They were utterly dependent on the spirit. That's what I want for my life. I think that's what many of us in this room want for our lives, yet we have this thing still hanging out over here that would be so easy to put our dependence back on. When we fast, we're, physically, we're, we're intentionally removing that from the situation so that our dependence shifts over to where it should be in the first place, and that's the spirit. The last thing that we see fasting do uh, that we can count on happening in our lives when we choose to fast is uh, some language that I'm borrowing from Matt way back when we first started talking through this. He kind of had a little tagline for each of the things that we've been talking through during the series. And he said, fasting, one of, one of the things fasting does is it breaks our entitlements. And I think we can count on if we step into the practice of fasting that our entitlements will be broken. Reality is, just like all of us are dependent on something, all of us are entitled to any number of things as well. But there is this beautiful connection between the practice of fasting and the laying down or breaking up of what we believe we are owed, what we believe we are entitled to. In the most practical sense, if we have food that's for us, that is set aside for us, and we are choosing to go without it, that's something that we are entitled to, that instead we are choosing to lay down. The connection goes even deeper than that, though. And I don't have time to like read this entire story, but in Matthew chapter four, Jesus, right after his baptism, goes out into the wilderness and participates in a 40 day fast. Many of you know the story. The devil comes to him at the end of that time of fasting. and He throws out three temptations to Jesus. And what really struck me as I was looking at this and thinking through this is if there was one person ever in the entirety of history who was absolutely entitled to what he was being offered, it was Jesus in this moment. Reality is most of our perceived entitlements, we don't actually deserve. We've just convinced ourselves we deserve it. Jesus was absolutely entitled to his creation when the devil offered him uh, bread, turn turn these rocks into bread. He was absolutely entitled to his creation. When the devil takes him to the high place and he says, all this could be yours, he was absolutely entitled to the entire world, it's his kingdom. Every single thing that the enemy threw out to him, Jesus was already entitled to, but what did he do? Instead, he laid down those entitlements for something better for what God had assigned for him to do while he was here as a human being. And I don't know, it, it makes our theology get a little messy because I don't know if Jesus needed those entitlements broken in him. We do know that he experienced all the same temptations that you and I experienced. So I don't know if he actually needed those broken or if he just did this as a really excellent example to the rest of us. But I think what it does is it shows us very clearly the connection between our stepping into the practice of fasting and the breaking down of our entitlements. And maybe even one day, the laying down of our entitlements. Church, like this, we know this, we've talked about this, this whole idea of entitlement, it's one of the biggest weights tied around our neck as the American church, and we have to kick it. We gotta. We're gonna drown if we don't. So whether Jesus needs to obliterate it or bring us to a place where we can lay them down, we have to be rid of it. I believe fasting is one of the most powerful ways to fast track that breaking of entitlement or that laying down of entitlement. He modeled it for us. It's absolutely something we should step into. And it's something we can count on if we're willing to step into this. Now there's one more piece of this that we just need to mention and then we'll be done we can step into this practice of fasting, whether it's sunup to sundown, multiple days, long periods of time, we can step into this expecting for these things to happen in our lives and it not come to fruition. And the reason that it won't is because if we step into fasting with the wrong motivation, there is no way that we're gonna see these things produced in our life. Because here's the reality. This is just a practice, Muslims fast way better than Christians. Hindus fast. Buddhists fast. Your uh, neighbor who's trying to lose some weight fasts. Like it's it's just a practice. For this to make a difference in our lives, it needs to be under this overarching pursuit of what we've been talking about intimacy with Jesus, closeness and faithfulness to him. Really, when it comes to fasting, it is all about Jesus. Like let the Sunday school answers abound because they're correct in this. If we do this apart from a submitting and a surrender to Jesus, we will not see these things be produced in our lives. It's sobering to realize that the very first statement that Jesus makes about fasting deals. And really, the, the only really big, clear statement he makes about fasting is dealing with the question of motivation. Matthew chapter six, where we're getting so much of what we're talking through during this series, says this, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, get, get onto your life, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. We act like this verse basically just saying, well, don't let anyone ever know that you're fasting. Otherwise it's not gonna work. That's not actually what Jesus is getting at here. What he's actually saying is much bigger than that. He's telling us, don't get your motivation screwed up as you walk into this. This is about connection with the Father. It's about not just starving the flesh, it's about feeding the Spirit. Not how you look, not how you feel, not how you're being perceived, but closeness and faithfulness with Jesus. We gotta recognize this practice is way more just about willpower or or self-control. Although those things happen and they're helpful, we must not miss what it's really about. It is all about Jesus, knowing his heart, his minds, his mind, his reaction, and the things that he would call us to do. So what do we do from here? I would challenge us, just like Matt challenged us a few weeks ago, step into this. Like, (laughs) as North Americans, like, we feel like we need so much information to step into something. We have three weeks of plenty of information that should let us feel confident that we can step into this. Even though it's difficult, even though it's challenging, we have a lot of info as to why we should do it. We have a lot of info about what can happen in our lives and what we can expect. We even had a moment where we, some of us got to experience it in the middle of that. My challenge for us as we continue to talk through it is be willing to step into it, even if we fail at it. Oh, well, like, let's, let's step into it knowing what God wants to bring about in our lives. Because isn't that what we want? We want to be people who are not entitled. We want to be people who are dependent on the Spirit. We want to be people who are aware of what controls us and make sure that it's the Spirit. And we want our lives to be all about Jesus. If these things happen when we go into fasting from the right motivation, then why would we not step into it? So whatever it looks like this week, I guess... My just challenge for me and for all of us is let's be willing to do it. Let's step into it and see what God does. And I think he will be very faithful to do some pretty, pretty cool things. Um, we're gonna pray and we're gonna close our service this morning. Don't get up and run out as soon as I say amen though, because I have a couple things I just wanna mention before uh, we dismiss this morning. But let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for giving us so much uh, detail that honestly maybe we shouldn't need. But I am really grateful that you do that you make it clear like what this life is meant to be and you make it clear how we are to walk forward. God, you're not a God of like confusion or, or secrecy, Lord. You, you make it pretty clear what you want for us. God, to pray we'd have the courage to step into it. God, the, the easy things that control our lives and the entitlements that we still really love and the dependency that maybe we don't even realize, it's all still at play, but God, that's what transformation is and that's what we want. So God, as we kind of pray through and listen to your voice as we decide what we're gonna do with this practice of fasting this week, God, we just pray you'd make it clear. We pray that we would be obedient to do what you say. We love you. We're grateful in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.